0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Literaturistic. It is episode 5 and Alifa's back. Hi,
1: I wasn't here for last week's episodes which I thought was really Fun. I listened to it, Kate though, was really uh, great, and I um, thought you guys really made a lot of you know interesting recommendations.
0: Thank you. Oh my god, um, I'm <laughs> flattered. Uh, but today for this episode, we're talking about book to screen adaptations, which is I think is like a very interesting topic that we can talk about for hours. I
1: feel like we're gonna get really fired up about
0: this. <laughs> song. Yeah. Before recording, I told Elifa like, can we keep the recording to like an hour because editing it is, is going to be like a pain for me.
1: It's going to be really hard, especially with this topic.
0: Yeah. So before we start though, what are you reading this week, Alifa? Uh, For the past couple of weeks, I think,
1: I don't know, it's been really hard for me to get into a book just because everything's been really busy. But I have been reading The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro? Ishiguro, yeah. And I don't know, I thought it would be an interesting book to read, and I just saw it one day, and I thought, like, hell, why not? (laughs) It's been actually really interesting so far. I really enjoy uh, Ishiguro's uh, writing style, and I I think it's been good so far. (laughs) So, what about you? Oh, yeah.
0: That's interesting, actually. I haven't heard of that book. I will probably search it up. Uh, But yeah, this week, well, I'll talk about what I've been doing, maybe, like, this past month, (laughs) because it's a story. Um, so I'm reading the entire Grishaverse series, which I will explain a, l- Ooh, a little yeah. bit. So basically, the Grishaverse is this um universe that uh, this author Lee Bardugo that we've mentioned a lot of times. I think we've mentioned her in like you know, every episode. Yeah, it's basically just- <laughs> the
1: Marvel universe of like dark fantasy lovers, yeah. you know, and everybody who's into like fantasy or dark fantasy i feel like is probably into this
0: series yeah but um, explaining a little bit about her as she basically owns this universe that people call the grishaverse which includes wait i'm gonna test myself if i know every book from this series yeah. <laughs> so there is the demon in the woods the tailor language of thorns shadow and bone siege and storm ruin and rising oh my god i can't believe i'm doing this six of crows it's a, it's a lot kingdom, of kingdom king of scars and rule of wolves oh my god Lee where do you go, I'm your biggest wow. fan. <laughs> I don't even remember
1: <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I think some of them are companion pieces, but, you know, yeah. it's all part of the experience of, mm-hmm. you know, getting into this huge universe filled with incredible characters and just amazing world-building and everything. Yeah. And I guess that's... Okay, there is a reason we're talking about this series wait, yeah. and this well, book in particular, first, right?
0: Let me finish right <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Yeah, but okay. Most specifically, I'm reading the third book in the Shadow and Bone series, which is Ruin and Rising, and I literally cannot wait to finish it all. Um, yeah, but... I'm talking about this and I'm explaining about this series a little bit because we're going to kind of touch on Shadow and Bone, which is a TV series that we've mentioned in the past that we're both really excited about. Yeah, the Shadow and Bone series is going to be adapted by Netflix into a TV series. It's Um, coming
1: out in like two months. We're so excited for it. And Mm -hmm. I guess that's why we decided to talk about this topic for today's episode, which is book to screen adaptations. Uh, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um moving on because we're both really excited about this upcoming T V series. We kinda want to talk about, you know, our general stance on book to movie adaptations, especially because it's a lot of people's introduction into these kinds of stories, right? And after you've watched the movie, you're gonna be like, Oh my god, this is I love this so much, like I wanna read the book and we kinda wanna talk about maybe how it's usually bad. Not usually, I shouldn't say usually. In some cases there are bad. So I guess in a lot of cases they're really bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's so pessimistic though. So what's your like general stance on book to movie adaptations book to screen
1: it's not a bad thing like book to screen adaptations they're not a bad thing because I think a lot of people are really like they really look down on that kind of stuff i don't know like gatekeeping almost
0: yeah and it's always like oh the book is better than the movie and you know like stuff like that yeah
1: and it's like oh it's never going to be as good and I think that's okay you know I feel like the but... movies aren't always going to be like 100 you know accurate to the books or it's not going to be similar and i think that's fine you know it's still important that as long long as the essence of the book or you Mm. know as long as what makes fans love the book or really love this you know the stories and the characters are still present in the movies and I think it's totally fine and I think I think okay my personally (laughs) I will say that a lot of the series that I've really come to love like Percy Jackson I originally read them because I saw the movie adaptation
0: Mm, oh really yeah and it's like
1: and that's funny because you know I hate the movie adaptation so much That's but fair. and it's actually funnily enough like I actually didn't hate it when I watched it at first mm. because I haven't read the books right but like you know seeing those movies it made me think okay why not read the books because I wanted to know more about the stories I wanted to know about the characters I wanted to know what happened after the movies ended you know because there was like two movies and it never continued because it was really bad because but mm. anyway yeah and I I picked up the books because i i really was curious about this universe and i like really thankful that i actually did watch those movies in the end because it introduced me to the percy jackson series and i think that's also the same for the harry potter movies Mm -hmm. i i read those books because i watched the movies you know
0: yeah honestly as for me i'm also like neutral i don't think i uh, i have the same experience as you as you know like watching the movie first and then getting into the books because if i watch a movie and i find out it's based on a book i'm like okay then why would i read the book you know <laughs> yeah. um i was reading the series uh, the school for good and evil by simon chai Ch- chai nani i'm sorry if i oh that i think i
1: i think i know what you're talking about i think yeah. i've read i've read that book. Dude, yeah
0: it's like it's really the book that like saved eighth grade me so yeah it's like my coping mechanism but yeah i remembered that uh, there was news coming out that it was going to be adapted into either a tv series or a movie and i said to myself if they're not gonna do this movie like every single the word, then I'm not going to watch it. Like I don't care. Like make it <laughs> seven hours long. If it's not every word, I don't want to watch it. You know. But that's like a really weird mentality. But in a way, it's kind of understandable. Yeah, I'm a I'm a really big fan of that book, and I don't want the essence to be lost. You know. So like now, the question is, how do you compact like five hundred something pages into like right, a right. hour movie? Right? How do you translate words into like visual?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, how often in movie series or that were adapted from books, you know, like how they usually split, you know, one book into two movies or Mm -hmm. how they usually, you know, they change things a lot from Mm -hmm. the books when they want to adapt it to movies. And, you know, like seeing from that, and we, there's a lot of like different examples that we can get into about, you know, like the good book to movie adaptations and the bad ones. And I think from there we can see like you know how is it so easy to get these things wrong you
0: know? I think what you brought up about um changing things that can either be really good or really bad right (laughs) yeah in a way you can change it to appeal to a bigger audience but you can also change it and not get attraction from the audiences that you want to attract and also lose the fan base you know? At the end of the day there is
1: a core audience for these books right and once you lose that core audience you kind of it's really make or break right like when you lose the core audience then you really lose your main audience because those are the people that you'd want to get you know into the movies because if they don't support it then i don't think other people will really
0: yeah but on the other hand maybe like there's some people who watch the movie and didn't read the book so they don't really know like how different it is right so they're like oh i guess that's okay like what you explained with uh, how you accepted percy jackson the first time you watched it
1: i guess you know speaking about of that like even when i didn't know it was like a a book adaptation you know i feel like there were elements in that movie that were already kind of like uh this feels disingenuous or it doesn't really like something was off you know what i mean like mm-hmm. there's something mm-hmm. about it that it just doesn't feel like it has any depth oh i guess that's it right i guess a lot of things that are like left out from the books is what brings death to the story yeah
0: that's yeah, yeah right really. <laughs> there's a kind of fear when you're like already a fan of the books and it's being ad- adapted where you're like oh is this just like a cash grab are they really yeah
1: yeah. oh my really god i the... hope it's not bad or yeah
0: like are they really passionate about telling the story to a bigger audience or do you or do you just want like the money you know that's a really big fear of mine and i guess if we're going to talk a little bit about this i need to mention the raven cycle (laughs) so basically the raven cycle which is one of my favorite book series ever i'm sorry i keep talking about it uh it's basically going oh no i i don't
1: remember any time that you've ever (laughs) recalled
0: when have i ever talked about the raven cycle i'm joking oh i don't think you've (laughs) ever talked about them Um, Yeah, going back to my main point, uh, The Raven Cycle is going to be adapted into a TV series and it's by sci-fi. And to be honest, hearing that it's going to be produced by sci-fi, I'm a little bit like skeptical because I haven't heard anything about them from years, right? Contradictory to Netflix or other production houses. So that's why I think uh, for The Raven Cycle, it was announced like a while back ago and then news never came of it anymore and I'm just kind of sitting here hoping like honestly I don't I don't want an adaptation I guess that's a
1: lot of the fear too right Mm -mm. as a fan you really want to see like justice done for these books when it comes to adaptations right and you you're excited but you're also really like you're just scared because you love these characters and you love you know everything about these books and you don't want to see it messed up or anything because I don't know some studio or some director doesn't really don't really care or don't understand i
0: don't know it's something that's really like valuable to me i guess right that's and, really dear right yeah Yeah. like if you want to do it you better do it right you know or else don't do it because i don't want to live my life pretending like <laughs> oh yeah the raven cycle tv show it exists but I'm, I'm gonna pretend that it doesn't exist you know
1: i guess we could use uh the percy jackson series and example this right because like those movies are so hated by everybody you know it's like in every list of worst book to movie adaptations <laughs> like all of them yeah. you know and nobody hates those movies or Those adaptations more than Rick Riordan, like, and it's so funny because he's hmm. been, yeah, he's been really honest and upfront about the fact that he had no control over it. I guess that's also another thing, right? Like, Mm, do authors have control over the adaptations? And I think, I think that's important to highlight because you know they're the people behind the works, and I think it's kind of it's worrying if or when the author themselves are not in control or in some, yeah, yeah, or not in some position where they are involved or they. Voice their opinions, right?
0: Mm, yeah, I think uh, contradictory to this, we can talk a little bit about like Shadow and Bone because I watched the live stream last night. Right. Was there is Lee Barugo and the rest, right, of the right. cast, And she talked about how she loved the cast and how she was very involved uh, in the character, yeah, and the, acting and the visual stuff. And it's like it's really heartwarming. It makes me like, oh, there's no doubt this is gonna be good, you know? Right, because and I think that's
1: the biggest difference, nice. right? Like mm. when an author actually is involved in it, you because you know they're the ones who probably love the books and those. Like everything about that world, the most because they created it. And I think when the author themselves are involved, you can see that, you know, it has the author stamp of approval, basically, right? You know, even if they weren't like 100% accurate to the books, you can still say that those were good movies. You know, they made a great impact on, you know, just the whole, like, I don't know, young adult scene, basically. (laughs) I guess another example that we can bring into this that, you know, a book to movie adaptation that really changed the game, I guess you can say, Be the Hunger Games movies.
0: Ah, uh, they they like set up a movement, you know, of yeah, like a, a whole yeah. house <laughs> an adaptation, and it was yeah.
1: they baited, they basically catalyzed the whole like young adult books to movie adaptation, mm. you know, like that they, that was the start, that was the beginning of like the Divergence, the Maze Runners, the <laughs> like all of those movies, right?
0: That's kind of an interesting thing to bring up, right? Like, what books do these production houses choose to adapt? You know, because right. Right. There are just like some books that, in my opinion, is going to be hard to, I guess, adapt as I've said. Going back to The Raven Cycle, because um, <laughs> I, I love that book and uh, one of my favorite aspects is uh, how Maggie Stiefvater, um, the the author, just writes. She writes so beautifully and I'm just so worried of how it's going to translate onto screen, right?
1: I guess for The Hunger Games, it's a really good example because like those are really successful movies right and they were really good adaptations in my opinion because even though it's not totally accurate it's right. still really good and they still captured the essence of the books i think they're very successful in the mainstream and i think uh what is it a lot of movies after that that were in that sort of like dystopian young adult sphere they didn't do as well or they weren't as good adaptations because they just wanted to like capture that same hunger game success you know they just wanted to basically find another like dystopian adult yeah. popular book mm-hmm. and they just wanted to adapt it so that it's like you know they, they just wanted to write the coattails of Hunger Games is what I'm <laughs> saying really and I think uh, the genre became really saturated with all of these yeah, of really. like how did they choose the movie which books to adapt right and it was clear like during this time they really wanted to there was so much adaptations of dystopians because of the success of movies like the Hunger
0: Games oh we can kind of connect that to like Harry Potter because I think mm. oh like that's one of the biggest franchises ever to ever exist you know this one youtube video that we both watched talking about how uh the people who produced narnia wanting to right, kind of replicate right, right. The, su- the success of uh, the harry potter movies but the thing with narnia is that the author he writes kind of weirdly because there are some characters that like oh go out of books and then come into them again and they right like grow up and then they go back to like their usual self yeah. not, like, some one... things
1: aren't easy to translate like, to movies not, right
0: it's not chronological as if like harry potter and stuff you know and i think you can really see that with the downfall of the narnia franchise itself because the first movie was really great and then the second yeah one... i
1: really loved that first movie like yeah. that really i hold that dear to my heart you
0: know <laughs> yeah and then the second movie i like to be honest but they didn't really was it the
1: caspian one was that the caspian Oh, yeah, the Caspian. Ones. Oh, I would say ben that's probably Barnes. that's funny enough. That is my favorite, oh, right? my favorite Narnia movie, just because I really like the battles. And I think, like, I mean, you can't go wrong with the battles, you know.
0: By the way, Prince Caspian is played by Ben Barnes, which is playing the dark room. Shadow.
1: Okay, <laughs> we just had to bring it again. We just had yeah. to bring it in again. But <laughs> yeah, and then so yeah continuing, continuing.
0: <laughs> Dude, we can't shut up Shadow Shadowing Bow. <laughs> <laughs> this Nobody. is,
1: like, probably really tiring to listen to, but, like, I <laughs> really love the series. Anyway, back to the back to the original <laughs> part. <point>. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, and then the third movie just really flopped because um the original had, like, four siblings, right? But in the third movie, two of the siblings had grown up and they're basically, like, out of the story. So it's just, like, the two youngest siblings and, and it just failed and then it got scrapped forever. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Sadly, but I guess we could bring in the topic of... like the difficulties in adapting complicated concepts and ideas from Mm. books to movies and how that's often the downfall of adaptations right
0: is there a good example of like a complicated magic system uh, that is translated right right
1: it's interesting because you know books allow authors to really Explore about yeah. different things right and some of those things are really just so hard to translate to movies like for example the book thief if you've ever read that book mm-hmm. it's so it's really good and it really explores so many difficult like topics right and there is a movie adaptation but i think it was like i read somewhere that a lot of people really did kind of like it but one of the things i wanted to mention is that in the books you read through the perspective of death in some parts like mm-hmm. the personification of death and like i just wanna like how do you even begin to translate that into a movie so mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure in the movie they just like they probably didn't even like show that at all right and that was a big part in the books that were really interesting and i guess you know a lot of times when they do cut out complicating or really just difficult uh concepts it kind of leads to the movies not having the same depth
0: and i good. guess the story doesn't focus on magic systems how do people convey thoughts and feelings into like physicals in a way it's kind of right, like, right. responsibility right because if you're adapting like maybe like a very dramatic story that's very focused on emotions and thoughts and identity and in- individuality I guess how do you how do you show that on screen uh, i don't even know where to begin with that because i don't i don't <laughs> have any ideas on how i would do that personally apart from complicated magic systems and st- stuff like that how do you i guess comply in a way to people's different expectations right. right because in my head i have a very specific physical attribute of a character or something like that like the way they talk and mm. the way they move the way they sound and sometimes i see uh, maybe like other people interpretation through drawing or something and i'm like that's not how they look excuse me (laughs) like that's not possible because that's (laughs) right 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 and i guess how do these showrunners choose what's canon anyway like Mm -hmm. the face claims and voice claims and stuff like that you know
1: yeah i think as a reader you also kind of have to curb your expectations a little right Mm -hmm. like you have to be able to be realistic about it and you also have to realize that yes well these books are very personal to everybody right as in when you read a book you have your own interpretation of it you have your your own like image of it in your head hmm. and you know like it's not always going to be the same as someone else's image or kind of like how they personify the characters or whatever right and you know when you see movies i think you also have to understand as a reader that a lot of things in books get cut from movies sometimes hmm. like certain scenes or certain characters cut out and get cut out in movies which is because and the grand scheme of things maybe they're not really i guess they they don't really they're not really that important or maybe it's not really that like it doesn't really lend itself to a good movie
0: in a way it's like how do you choose the important scenes from the not important scenes you know because in books like yeah maybe the scene isn't like a conflict or like a big battle or something but it's just like maybe like two characters maybe like exchanging a chat and then like kind of maybe people wouldn't think of that as like significant enough to the plot but it gives more depth to the characters you know like their lives doesn't revolve around this one conflict and this one situation or something because they're real people who have you know like personalities and you know they joke around and they have friends and stuff like that you know
1: you know you have to be able to strike a balance right from Mm -mm. the like the really in-depth stuff and what's like what's important and what's not yeah or what at least what's important to the fans and what's maybe like oh what is just it's too much it can't really make into the movie take for example the Percy Jackson books a lot of things in those books I mean in those movies were changed like a lot of characters weren't there a lot of the characteristics of the characters were also different you know and I think that's what really upset fans is because everything was different and that's when you kind of like okay you see why fans hated it because nothing was the same and that was like that's a bad example of like how there wasn't any balance to it and and the hungry games is a good example of what the balance is as well as like harry potter and the really like successful adaptations right yeah
0: and I guess talking about scenes that have to be cut off but also as I've said kind of you know like erases the death and what makes a character complicated you know a different side of this is what do you do if you want to completely stray from the story right i guess this is a point that we want to bring up like changing the endings or changing the the whole story or like maybe even the characters and their personality because right, right. Yeah, it's something that's it's a kind of a phenomenon i guess that's like why would you even do that in the first place you know but it can have some good examples I and mean, it can have some bad examples one of the things we should talk about is like
1: character building right because i think at the end of the day a lot of the issues with movie adaptations are how the way the characters are adapted i'm gonna bring up Percy jackson again this may seem like a stupid detail or to, for fans to be upset about like annabeth who is oh, um, yeah. I the main female character in the first movie she had brown hair in the books she had blonde hair and this may seem like a totally stupid and insignificant thing to be like upset about but in the books she's a the daughter of athena i should probably mention that and in the books it's like everybody who is like a daughter or a son of athena specifically they all have blonde hair and gray eyes that's an important character trait because it shows her you jo- know, her heritage right and mm-hmm. it seems like a, such a stupid thing but it is an important factor in like character building and world building as well right
0: it's so like insulting because even if you already have like oh like yeah this is the perfect actor like why not put a wig on her you know or
1: exactly that. and it's so dumb because in the second movie they did put a blonde wig on her because <laughs> fans were so upset about it but then it's like okay in the first movie you didn't have the blonde wig but in the second movie there was because fans were upset. And that was so, it was so dumb, you know? And also, another thing, uh, aging up characters, which I think happens a lot in these kinds of adaptations, because using Percy Jackson again uh, as an example, the characters were aged up in the movies. In the books, they were, like, 12 in the first book, and then in the movies, they were like teenagers. And I think that's also corresponds to the like a lot of times, you know, the studios or the filmmakers behind the movies, they just kind of wanna push it to that teenage audience. Yeah, like te- they, they just look yeah, like, yeah. like
0: teenage drama and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: They just want to appeal to that like a specific audience when in fact like the ages of these characters were important plot points. And I think there was also like really small insignificant things that made seem stupid to be upset about like for example there was like phones and technology in the movies when in the books that's like a clear no-no because in the books in this world if you were a demigod who used phones or technology that would get you killed because it attracted (laughs) monsters stuff like that you know Mm. and it's just those little things because it's so clearly it was there because they wanted it to be able to like appeal to mainstream by adding those little like oh they're teenagers they have like oh they have phones and they have this and they have like you the, the humor or even the jokes in it that just kind of felt out of character so yeah, in I, a of
0: way, I guess if we want to talk about the good ways of changing stories we can kind of talk about shadow and bone again <laughs> because, um, <laughs> so let me explain a little bit in this tv series we're basically following two timelines the first one is the shadow and bone which well, yeah two different
1: series right so mm, it's yeah. two different book series from the same universe as we mentioned I explained before it's the grisha universe right the grishaverse so so two series from this universe is in one tv show. And Although the show itself, it hasn't come out yet, but a lot of you know interviews and a lot of articles have come out about it that you know it's not going to be 100 similar
0: to the books. Not- yeah, and basically it follows two timelines, which is uh, the Six of Crows duology and the Shadow and Bone trilogy. In the actual books, Six of Crows is after Shadow and Bone, but in the TV series, it's actually before Shadow and Bone, and that's like a really interesting and like a very different take on these characters. Like, what were they like before they were in the books? Before the story. Yeah, it really starts right. That's the one thing that I was really kind of nervous about, but I want to trust that they're in good hands, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> are involved in it, I remember uh, watching the interview and Freddie Carter, uh the person who's playing Kaz, uh, he kind of talks about he can't really say anything about what the Six of Crows are doing because it's going to be spoilers. So yeah, I'm really excited, <laughs> also really scared, but it would be really interesting to see because because this would not be in the books at all, right? And yeah, essentially,
1: they're- essentially they're creating you know whole new prequel stories that were not in the book yeah you know even Lee Bardugo herself the author mentioned how yeah it's not going to be like the books and that's okay they wanted to explore new and different things with this tv show right and I think that's also an interesting thing to think about right they didn't want it to be 100% to the book
0: yeah but I think the thing with a uh, changing stories too that would that could be applied to Shadow and Bone that's not really a positive side I guess is one of the characters also so it's called Six of Crows right so there are supposed to be like six people and actually uh, because this is the prequel one character Character is not going to be there, and I'm genuinely kind of upset about it because I really love this character so much. Yeah, I a lot of fans there. are
1: upset about this,
0: right? Yeah, but yeah, I'm still really excited. And uh, the rumors are, if if there were to be a season two, he's going to be there. So I'm just like crossing my fingers. Hopefully, but- <laughs> hopefully this
1: is a success. You know, hopefully this is a good series, and there will be yeah. a season two. Hopefully, yeah.
0: I, I mean, <laughs>
1: Yeah, despite the show not coming out, a lot of people are already like, "Oh, this is gonna be good. This is gonna be good." Mm. You know, and despite all the changes to it, and I think that's like really really interesting right
0: it's kind of in a way like marketing too right because oh my god oh. everything they've put out and these teasers and the stills that they've put out is just has just made everyone in the fan base kind of freak out at the sight of this yeah. end or something like i think i remember a few days ago uh, some of the stills were leaked oh really yeah i think uh, the last stills before uh, before the trailer came out it was it was oh, like wow. tumbler or something i remember everyone just oh, no.
1: out i guess also another whole set of examples that can be used as you know changing changing things is would be you know those kind of you know sherlock or mm, Pride yeah. and prejudice or those kinds of like Romeo and juliet those kind of classics that have been turned into tv shows or movies like you know the bbc sherlock is most definitely not like it's a modern adaptation of mm. sherlock right which is very beloved but it, you know it's not accurate 100% to the character- the original character, right?
0: And I feel like it's in a whole other genre of like doing adaptations that's modern, like for example Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, or 10 Things About You. Which I love
1: those, movies. I love those! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love, I love, love that movie so much! <laughs> yeah,
0: and uh, the society is based on Lord of the Flies, right? Yeah, and and it's really cool to see like these new takes but it completely changes the story.
1: People yeah. love those kinds of adaptations because it's also bringing a new audience to these, you know, really classic, really old stories that are very well known and loved by a lot of people, right? But then there's also a side- another side which is very, like, I guess really they want it only to see, like, the pure-
0: I don't know, the pure version, you know? Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up Into the Woods because it's kind of like a crossover of so many fairy tales. I think there was, like, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk and Cinderella. Oh, and- yeah, yeah. But I guess a bad example of a classic is the picture of Dorian Gray, which is... Why? (laughs) Uh, So I really love the actual uh the the picture of Dorian Gray book, but it was adapted I think I think it was two thousand and nine that movie came uh, out. Yeah, and it completely changes the story and the ending. They gave Dorian Gray like a love interest for some reason. <laughs> and it was like a whole redemption art kind of like questionable because he's like a bad person, simply he's a bad person. And I don't know, I don't think like the question of if he deserves redemption is kind of questionable. Also uh, mm-hmm. Dorian Gray is played by Ben Barnes again, uh, who is playing <sighs> the Darkling and also Prince Caspian. He keeps showing up in all these adaptations. <laughs>
1: I guess also, you know, adding to your point, you know, we see these there's always these examples of modern adaptations that are really well loved. You know, and then there's the ones that are really bad. And the difference I feel that you know, you mentioned that, oh, they added a love interest or they added a redemption arc or stuff like that. And I think that's where these adaptations get it wrong sometimes is they feel the need to pander to the modern audience. And I feel that what Sherlock or what Pride and Prejudice and Zombies <laughs> did well is that these still had like same essence of the original you know but then they just basically added it like they added zombies to the Pride and Prejudice but the overall story was still like the same right the characters still had the same personalities but now you just see it reflected and oh but how would these characters do well in a zombie infested world you know it's basically fan fiction right
0: (laughs) it's basically fan fiction I guess we talked about the bad, so why don't we talk about the good
1: (laughs) right I guess to wrap it up these movie adaptations they can introduce someone to whole new world that they've never knew about, essentially, right? Even if they aren't necessarily good adaptations, you could still say, oh, you know what? I'm actually interested in how this plays out. I think that's the good aspect of movie adaptation. Changes could be a good thing, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think it's an interesting point where it's like, you know, what if the author or what if the showrunners wanted to do something different?
0: Yeah, or what if it's like, like a story that the author hasn't had a chance to, I guess, explore yeah. more, right? Or yeah, they <laughs> wanted to develop it more. They wanted to add things to it that they maybe when they were writing it, they didn't think of it, you
1: know? And I think that could also be a really good thing for fans, too, because you essentially get more content, right?
0: Honestly, like, I'm so excited to see, like, what the Six of Crows gang is going to be up to in that series. (laughs) There's a sense of mystery to it, almost. And I guess that's the Mm -hmm. whole
1: thing, right? When you go from book to movie adaptations, you know what's going to happen if you read the books. But I think sometimes when there are changes, it adds to, like, wait a minute, I don't know what's gonna happen that's yeah
0: that's both scary but it's also really exciting yeah but i guess the bottom line is if they are trying to reach a wider audience it kind of also brings more people into reading Uh, to be honest when shadow and bone comes out i'm gonna force everyone around me to watch it yeah (laughs) everyone around (laughs) me me. too i've been showing the trailers and like the
1: clips that have come out to like my sisters and i've just been like you have to watch this (laughs) you're gonna like it trust me like you can use that to invite people who might not be into reading
0: into this world that you really love. I think there is kind of a rise of if you're finished watching this movie go read this book. I saw an example <laughs> yeah. is, um, about Bridgerton and yeah it's really interesting because Bridgerton is also based on a book right and I saw this post that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. book that kind of has a Bridgerton vibe so it invites <laughs> people to actually read. So I guess even if the movies are kind of bad it invites people to read and would make it a habit. If For example if you're finished with Shadow and Bone like after it all has come out and maybe you're gonna watch yourself. There's more stories to explore you know, like there's King of Scars which is focused on uh, Nikolai's perspective A
1: character, (laughs) an important character in the book I should say
0: that. And in a way it's almost kind of like a never-ending cycle right? Because maybe if you're finished with King of Scars you could continue to reading, I don't know like any of the prequels before Shadow and Bone and after you're finished with the entire Grishaverse maybe you would continue to uh, another author for example, Cassandra Clare or after we finish Cassandra Clare you might continue to Maggie Steviator and if you've already made reading a habit and then you will follow love with so many books you know and you will do all of this because you're introduced to that one screen adaptation and has a purpose rather than just telling a story to to encourage people to read more
1: okay so i guess you know that that basically is you know our whole entire opinion about book to movie adaptations or book to screen adaptations i should say we can end this podcast or this episode with our uh, book of the week and i think it's fitting yeah our book recommendation of the week and i think it's very fitting that it will be the shadow and bone series
0: (laughs) yeah or maybe if you're threatened by the word series maybe just oh yeah yeah
1: the (laughs) The first book is basically set in this world we've already kind of explained a little but i'll just uh mention it a little bit more i guess um it's set in this fantasy world that's basically like sort of like a fantasy i don't know recreation of like russia right it's basically set in that region it's about this character who is an orphan a war orphan and she doesn't know
0: is a map maker too and then she suddenly comes to this very like very powerful power yeah yeah essentially
1: in this world there's a bunch of powers but there are two powers that are very unique like there's only one person to really have these two powers they're the opposites of each other right there's Alina the main character is the sun summoner so she has the power of light and then her opposite is the darkling who has the power of like yeah shadow and darkness right and this whole series is basically following her coming into her powers and realizing her abilities and there's a lot of political intrigue there's a lot of just yeah like, it's just incredible world building basically and it's yes. about there's a war back basically that's about to happen and uh, alina has to figure out a way to protect the people around her
0: that's a really good summary <laughs> but, um, yeah i guess adding on to that for me personally if you've started shadow and bone you almost can't just finish on that because for me you can't stop <laughs> yeah and not 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 just because oh the story is so interesting it's like oh you can tell like this is the beginning of the story like stuff's about to get down on like the next yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, you know
1: just yeah. the beginning of a great roller coaster of yeah. emotions really give it a try it's really really interesting
0: and uh the netflix series is dropping in april 23rd so if you want to read the whole series you have two months <laughs> <laughs> you yeah,
1: so, have yeah. two months to get on it this is big. we're basically just doing like a free promo for yeah button. Button.
0: but yeah i think that's it that's a really like very full <laughs> you right <laughs> yeah
1: so thanks for listening guys and you know thanks yeah. again if you listen to the end of this very long ramble basically about book to screen adaptation uh yeah hope to see you again next week
0: see you guys next week next bye. episode thank <laughs> bye thank
1: you